We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant the church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Uh, Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And can everyone hear me okay in the back? Is it all right? Okay. Revelation, chapter 2. We've been in the seven churches, and we have... We've seen that Jesus Himself is walking through these churches because He knows them deeply and He loves them very much. And we've seen it. It's, we've used this image of Jesus and it's like He's a gentleman walking through a home. The first home that He walked through was the church of Ephesus. There was a lot of lights on. They had a lot of good, solid Christian orthodoxy, but there was no heat in the home. And it felt like um, the air conditioner right now. We turned it down, okay? So we're, we're we're good. Or do you say turn it up? We turn it. It's it's seventy-two. Okay. Uh, the next church, it was it was such a beautiful sight. There was the church of Smyrna, and we said that that Smyrna was was the same word as myrrh. And when you crush myrrh, you have to press it down. And when you crush it, myrrh gives off a fragrant aroma. And when Jesus saw this crushed and suffering church, he smelled it and it was beautiful. He loved it. And so it was like we likened it to walking into a home and it was like smelling freshly baked cookies in the oven. Like, ah, oh, I love being here. And kids, you took notes and you wrote down the Smyrna cookie and you did a great job. Well done. The next home that we we walked into or that we saw Jesus walking into was last week we walked into and there there was nothing really apparent on the surface but it had a funny smell and they walked down in the basement and they looked up remember that what they saw on the ceiling it was growing on the wood and the beams and the rafters remember it mold it was a church that that heard about a couple of things that, that it was a little wonky theologically, and they said, ah, it'll be fine. Let's just see what happens. And we saw that that church, there was, there was a slow death to them as they breathed in the poison. Last week we asked a question that I'd like to just revisit again. It was this, what, was, what is the most sensitive area in the Scriptures for you? What's the, what's the issue that causes you to get a little bit jittery, right, in the Scriptures? That, that you're not quite sold on or that you're tempted the most to, to reflect the words and the attitude of, of the serpent that says, did God really say that? We talked about that attitude of, oh, I just don't know if that's totally what God wants in 2020. We said that was an attitude of distrust. And just to be real, this is not like just some cool curriculum or sermon series that I just pop off and and, and talk about like a parrot. Like 
Like this is this has been very purging for me. And so to to share with you as a fellow sheep, for me it, last week to answer that question went a lot like this. Whew, Lord, are you are you sure? I mean, I know that your son said I will build my church. But are you sure this is how you want to do it? You want you want a church to go through the scriptures line by line, precept by precept and say and study and talk about these things? Oh, it's a little scary for me. Are you sure this is how you want to build your church? And as we go through the scriptures, I am encouraged and challenged and reminded week after week that the Holy Spirit, through His Word, knows His sheep way better than any mere man. And I'm so thankful that, that the Word of God holds us to what the Spirit wants His church to hear. And so He says, time after time, week after week, he who has an, an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And so that's our call this week, to open up your ears and let's hear what God says to us this week. It's really exciting, isn't it? If you're new to the faith or if you're, if you're like, what is all this Christian stuff? We say this often here, but when we open up the Bible, it's like heaven itself opens up. And we hear from God. It's his word. So this week, Jesus is going to walk in this house. It's going to be a little different than some cookies in the oven. The title of the sermon is, There's a Tiger in the House. And the main idea is, don't tolerate the tiger. Don't tolerate the tiger. Let's go ahead and get started. Let's get to know this city a little bit. I'm in chapter 2, verse 18. And kids, if you're into drawing or doodling while taking notes, I would encourage you to draw a big old tiger. And for the tiger stripes, write down the words that describe this tiger, okay? And let's see you make a really cool tiger. Um, verse, verse 18, chapter 2 says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira right. All right, so let's just let's just stop for a moment and let's get to know this city real quick. We've been in some churches. Here's modern day Turkey and here are the names of the churches. So far we've studied Ephesus. It was a coastal city. We've studied Smyrna, another coastal city, and then we're up on top with Thyatira. Um uh, Thyatira, great city, smaller than the previous two. Um, and just, we've been in Pergamos. Sorry, I forgot that one. Another coastal city. And uh, we've seen that each of these cities has a unique and special thing about it. Um, just like Memphis, uh, Tennessee does ribs. Cincinnati does um, black raspberry chocolate chip chunk. This city right here does bronze right? The, 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 uh, the guilds and the workforces, the unions, they were all about bronze. And um, bronze, we know, is an alloy made up of several different metals. And when you shine bronze, when you work at it and polish it, it becomes a brilliant 
shining metal. So if you see in the rest of verse 18, Jesus uniquely presents himself or introduces himself to this city and says that the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, he says, I, I know you and I see you. My eyes are bright, they're brilliant, they're burning, and actually my feet are similar to what you know to be as bronze, and they're shining bright. And if you want a real fast, quick explanation of this introdu introduction, I could give it in one word. Are you ready? Authority. Jesus is introducing himself and he's saying, I know you, I know who you are, I know who I am, and I have authority in this world, this universe, in your city, and in your life. And that will make more sense as we get to know this church and study this letter. But Jesus has the right. He has the authority. He is the judge, can claim, deem, and proclaim what is right and what is wrong. Jesus has authority. Let's see how Jesus, in his burning eyes, knows and assesses this situation. And you'll see this common, almost outlined throughout these churches where Jesus points out something good, points out something bad, and something hopeful. And there's only two churches where actually he doesn't correct, but he does in this church. So here we go. Let's start out with something good. Point number one, something good, verse 19. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Let's study this together. Look at the word order with me for a minute and see how the Holy Spirit laid this out for us. It's almost like this church didn't fall into certain ditches, and Jesus encourages him for that. He says, I know your works. So if you are a very task-oriented person in the faith, there's a tendency to be not focused on people, but just to get things done. And so Jesus says, I know your works, and also you love me and people. You don't forget people. So you have works and you have love. This church didn't abandon the love that they had at first, like the church of Ephesus. They had their love. They love God and others. Jesus commends them for their faith and their service, right? They didn't fall in the ditch of believing that faith was just this, this passive, apathetic way to be like, oh, let's have faith and God will take care of it, but let's not do anything that he calls us to, right? They had faith and they had service. They had them together. And then Jesus commends them for having that great attribute of patiently enduring, which is a common thread throughout uh, Revelation, the call to the church to patiently endure and hold fast. But if you were just to look at your Bible, you would notice that Jesus spends very little ink on the encouragement and a whole lot of ink on the correction. 
It's almost like there's something glaring in this house that's obvious that Jesus commends them for things, but for their good and for the glory of God. He's got to go ahead and initiate the discussion. Okay? It would kind of be like this. And this is kind of this is my best um, attempt at it for, for today. Okay? It would be like the Newman family of six, one dad, one wife, and four girls uh, moves towards you and says, Hey, hey family, we would love to babysit your kids. And mom and dad, you guys go ahead and go on a date. We're just so excited. So bring them on over and we'll we'll feed them and we'll put them to bed. It'll be awesome. Just enjoy the night out. Hey, before you bring them over, you need to know that we also have a heart for our city. We just love Cincinnati. And so um, the same night that you're going to bring your kids over, we've reached out to the Cincinnati Zoo, and we're going to be hosting a tiger as well in order to give the zookeepers a night off. So it'll be fine, Mom. It'll be fine. We'll keep the tiger in the corner, and your toddler will be fine, okay? And so mom and dad, they bring on over their kid and, and, um, and they, this is how the church responds in this situation. Ready? So the mom and dad bring over the kid and they, they got their diaper bag and they leave it and they put their kid on the ground and they leave their kid and they're all smiles. And then they look in the corner, they see the tiger and they go, well, have a great night. This is how the church responds to the tiger here. Let's go to something bad. I'm going to read a bunch of verses for you. See if you can hang with me, kids. Take your finger and point it, point it on the verses and follow along with me. I'm in verse 20 now. This is something bad. Jesus says, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Verse 22, Behold, I will throw her on a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So ladies and gentlemen, the tiger is in this house. Let's just pause for a moment and step back. I'd like to just talk about the character of Jesus before we talk about Jezebel and the things happening in this church, okay? Um, this, this is important. This is our fourth church now. Three of them had corrections. And if we're not careful, if we don't pause, perhaps the mindset might be something like this. Hey, Jesus, would you just keep it nice? Like, the most helpful you could be was could be just... Would you just encourage us, right? Like when you correct us, it doesn't make us feel good. That would be the verbiage of today, 
And I'm sure that many of you have been around that kind of culture, okay, that is, that is not necessarily consistent with how Jesus talks to his church right here, right? In, in sports, in children's sports, everyone gets a trophy, everyone, and no correction. But we see that Jesus corrects, and so if we're not careful, is Jesus mean? Really, when we're, when we're saying or bringing out this idea, like, oh, Jesus, would you just keep it kind? Theologically, what we're saying is, Jesus, you don't have the authority to correct. You don't have the authority to say what is right and wrong. I have the authority and I want to control you And so what I am saying is just say the niceties. But Jesus, He loves us enough to correct us. He's a good coach. He tells us when things are off. He speaks to us and He moves towards us. And He doesn't just say, if there's a tiger in the house, He doesn't just say to the child, hey, Come over here and play in this corner. I'm going to woo you to here. Here, here's all the toys. He actually is going to say, "Child, this house is not fit for you. It's not safe here. And I am going to deal with the tiger because I love you so much and I don't want you to get hurt." And so he helps this church. Let me give just give you some some evidence of the mercy, the heart, and the love of God through Jesus Christ in this letter, okay? Let me point, point out a few things, okay? Just to, a quick, another image. It's like if you're walking through a house with a realtor, and there's a big hole in the roof, and all the realtor can do is talk about how the carpet is water-resistant, right? It's like, what does that even mean, water-resistant? Why don't you just say waterproof, Right? But why don't you just tell me about the roof? Tell me about this hole. Tell me about how you're going to fix it. And if you did that with a realtor, would you trust them if they never addressed it? You'd be like, can I trust anything you say? You can trust Jesus. Watch this. Ready? Number one, here's just two evidences in the scriptures of the love of God through Jesus. One, the warning itself is a display of mercy. Okay, so Jesus, I mean, the whole God through the Holy Spirit and Jesus is speaking to this church. He is authoring this letter to the church. So he's like, he doesn't get all jazzed from correcting them. He doesn't get his kicks off. He wants the church to be holy. Therefore, in a great love, he moves towards them to help them. That was number one. The warning itself is a display of his mercy. And number two, Jesus gives time to repent. Verse 21, do you see that? I gave her time to repent. Jesus has the authority. He could have acted swiftly, but his heart is for that woman and for this church. So friends, please see today that Jesus, his heart for you, is that he loves you. He wants to walk with you. And he wants you to be free of sin. 
His posture, his normative disposition towards you is one of invitation. He's begging you. He's calling you to come, and to, to get out of your sin, to put your sin onto him so that he can carry it, the burdens. Nonetheless, verse 20 is still there and we got to deal with it, okay? So let's do it. It says, I have this against you that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. All right, so this is the tiger, just for clarity. Jezebel's in the room. She's teaching bad stuff and the church is okay with it. In other words, and let me just reframe it, Jesus is saying to this church, hey, remember guys, hey, waving the flag, remember that belief is really important. She's teaching something. Belief affects behavior. and You've got a woman who's teaching against me. She's got ideas. Her ideas are coming out her mouth. And they're not just random ideas where you just kind of need to go, ah, whatever, let's just keep moving on. They're causing damage to people. They're causing wreckage to the soul. Uh, Biblical scholars wrestle with the idea of, uh, is Jezebel an actual woman? Or is uh, the writer referring to Jezebel in the Old Testament? And guys, I think it's just safe to land with the knowledge that this this church probably knows who Jezebel is. Uh, she's, a, she's a bad girl. Whether her name is actually Jezebel or not, everyone's going to be like, oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. Dads, you don't want your daughters, or you don't want your sons to marry this kind of a woman. Like she's, she's bad news, okay? Um, let me pose it like this. This is kind of a screw, screw tape letter-like question. Ready? If you were Satan... How would you attack the church? How would you go about destroying the body of Christ, the church of God? There's probably a number of answers. We could answer that in a sundry of ways. But in Thyatira, here's the answer. Let's take down Christians by going after their sexuality. Let's go after the family. Let's break apart the marriage by going after the marriage bed. Let's seduce their minds. Let's let's make them believe lies and their actions will follow. And this will destroy the church and their faithful witness to the Gospel. That's what's happening. That's what Satan is doing here. Historical note. So there was a lie in the first century, it still exists today, that went like this. That anything material, like your body, things that you can see with your eyes, anything material is bad. Anything immaterial is good. So things that you can't see, your heart, your soul, like feelings, the the things that are on the inside, those things are good. Material, bad. Immaterial, good. And if it is bad, it doesn't matter. And here's what what I mean to say. You can do whatever you want to do with the material, and it doesn't affect 
the material. The, you can do whatever you want with the material. It won't affect the immaterial. So with your body, eat whatever you want. Do whatever you want with the body. Act on any sort of desire it has, and it won't affect your heart. It won't affect your relationship with God because that is spiritual. So do things and, and, and talk about things and, like, and tend to the heart and be pure at heart and the soul. But when it comes to the body, go for it. The church of Corinth followed this lie and Paul addressed it. Uh, there's a slide for you. Uh, you don't have to go there in your Bibles, but right in the margin, 1 Corinthians 6.13. Uh, there was Corinthian sayings, lies that they believed, and Paul corrected them. Here's one of the sayings. Food is meant for the stomach, and stomach is meant for the food. Food for the stomach, stomach for food, right? Which that's a Corinthian saying, not a biblical saying. And the rest of it, would go logically like this. Well, if food's for the stomach, stomach's for food, then the body is meant for sex and sex for the body. So if you're hungry, eat. And however God made you with your body, etc., etc., etc. You got me? Do you see the damage that that could cause? You see the damage that Jezebel is teaching? She is deceptive. She is deceiving them by saying, hey, Christians, be free with your sexuality. Like, just, just eat food that's offered to idols. It doesn't matter. That, that's external. That's not heart issues. Just do whatever you want with your body. And just believe me and my teachings. It won't affect you on the inside, your soul. Deception. So that's why Paul follows up in this same verse, verse 13 of chapter 6. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. That would be the biblical way to close out that Corinthian saying. <laughs> All right, so let's just pause for a sec, okay? You might be thinking... Okay, this is me anticipating what, what my mind might be easily um, gravitating to. Like, hey, hey Newman, this whole like sexual immorality thing, pretty clear in Scripture, we're kind of over this. Like, this, is, this, is, this would be the jock way to think. Um, all right, I'm reading the Bible. It says, um, basically, if I were to summarize it, if we're a church, uh, don't have an affair and uh, seek purity and we'll be good. We're, we're over this. Why are we spending so much time here? And I would differ. I would say this is a significant issue for today. This is a massive discussion. This I'm sure this will be a significant conversation. Sexuality, gender, intolerance. This November, come election time, the attack of marriage and family 
is all around us. And if you, church, hold to a biblical understanding of marriage and family, you will be greatly persecuted. You will be greatly shamed. And perhaps you will be fired from your jobs. Friends, this is a tiger. So what's the church supposed to do? We need to be aware that this is coming, that this is amongst us even now. Let's go back to the scriptures, Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. This church tolerates their teachings, her teachings. Tolerance is this idea that says whatever is true for you is good. Whatever is true for me, that's my truth. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And therefore, there's no absolute truth. No one has the authority except yourself. And you claim, deem, and write out your own authority. That's tolerance. And many times we see in today that, that there's a call to be tolerant, yet the tolerance only goes so far, doesn't it? And it's when Christians claim authority or truth. That's when tolerance stops in the world's eyes and when it's not okay. And so we've got to be ready and we've got to teach on how to not be tolerant how to reject teachings like this in a godly and Christian manner. It would be awesome. <laughs> Rephrased. It would be really easy for me as your pastor to go ahead and stop there and go, all right, church, so let's not be tolerant on these issues. Push your hands in. Socially distant, of course, but put your hands in. One, two, three, break. And then we go out on the court and we go, all right, let's not be tolerant. And then we look at each other and go, wait, what's the game plan? We understood it principally, but like, what play are we running? Like, who's at point guard? Who's small forward? Who, are we pressing? Are we, are we in a zone? What's go, what is our plan? And so in the next moments, um, I, want, I want to help our church know how to reject tolerance. I'm going to do my best. I'm not going to say everything perfectly. Uh, we're going to start, start this discussion, and, um, um, and we can have more discussion later. Pursue me for a coffee, for, for lunch, whatever. Um, but this, this will be heavy stuff. I believe that this will be what is best for this church for way beyond Newman and Leaper and, and leadership. So prayerfully, this will put a stone in this church that will give it strength and stability for the next 100 to 300 years. Okay, you got me? All right, so hang with me. We're going to go over two things on how to reject tolerance. One is in the church, and one is in the workplace. And students, when you hear workplace, that would mean in the, in the schools, in the classrooms, on your sports teams or whatever, okay? So that's where we're headed. First, let's go in the church. Remember, we're going for specificity. So since... This teacher in the church, Jezebel, um, taught sexual immorality. We're going to stay close. We're going to stay tethered to that issue of tolerance, okay? 
So um, I would like to apply that issue to me today. Um, what should you do as the church if an elder or a pastor is teaching things like this, like sexual immorality is seducing you, attempting to woo you away from the scriptures and believe what is contrary to them? Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3 uh, are the qualifications of a pastor elder. Um, and it says that a pastor elder needs to be a one woman man, um, not two or three or four or five. My wife is Hannah. Okay. I have one wife. Um, but if I fall into temptation, if I morally fail, if I sin and choose wrongly and choose to be with another woman, I am following the ways of Jezebel. I'm teaching and I am, my belief affects my behavior. And I would say it is my duty to step down from the office of elder pastor. Okay, so I would no longer be your pastor or elder if I had an affair with another woman. Uh, sadly, this doesn't happen a lot or enough in the church. And uh, the church is... Church, the church needs to follow this example. It's scary. I'm basically teaching you how to fire me. Since I am an elder, I have forsaken the right to repent privately about certain public sins. And I would say an affair is, is a public sin. So it wouldn't be right, just to spell it out for you, it wouldn't be right for me to sin in that manner repent privately and just keep on going like normal it wouldn't be right again it's not for every sin that i commit i'm a sinner i'm broken but it's less about me and more about the office the office is to be spotless not perfect but spotless men who continue to pursue holiness and are who are above reproach I know, I know this isn't a warm, fuzzy uh, sermon, but it's, it's going to help this church be faithful to hold fast to Jesus, okay? Um, so here's what you would do. Here's how you would handle it, okay? Um, for the glory of God and the purity of the church, you would bring it before the elders, okay? And in this case, you would bring it before our other elder, Peter Leeper, Okay? This would not be gossip. You would talk to Peter. You'd come to him, and Peter is going to take out his Bible, and he's going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, which reads this, Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay? And so he's going to ask you three questions. He's going to say, Is this a charge against your pastor? He's going to ask... Has it been established by evidence? He's going to ask, is this evidence by two or three witnesses? Seems biblical, seems logical, seems like a good way to do it, right? And Peter is going to take this conversation really seriously. Because it's a very serious matter. It's for the glory of God, His church, the witnesses, the community. For, it's a serious deal. Just to speak to you frankly, you need to realize that you're putting him in a really difficult position. 
It's going to be really hard. But it's the right thing to do. If you are like my best friend, I am saying I want you to do this. I want you to have courage and hold fast to the Bible and do this courageous thing for, the, for Jesus, for my sake, for my wife's sake, for my family's sake. I also want you to be really careful, okay? Because this is a serious thing. My life is in the Lord's hands. But realize, when you bring a charge against the pastor and his family, it affects everything. So this is a big deal. But church, the bigger deal would be for you to do nothing. For you to stay silent. Do you know what that would mean? You would be tolerating me. You'd be tolerant. And after a time, Jesus would remove his lampstand from this church. Now that opens up a can, right? We want to talk about it. The best thing to do would be to, to talk about it and honest and prepare for the worst, right? We want to keep our eyes on Jesus, but you need to know that the Scriptures give us the tools on how to deal with the tiger. Let's talk about how to reject tolerance in the workplace or in your schools, okay? So we've called this series Precedented Times because precedented means parallel. Like what's happening in these churches, we're seeing it happen today. It's all over the place. And Jesus has the same call. He's like, hold fast, church. Look at verse 25 with me. This is the call to this church. Only hold fast what you have until I come. He continues in verse 26. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Let me just sum up those two verses for you. Jesus says, hey, Christians, hold fast to the Scriptures. Verse 25. And then he says, verse 26, hey, Christians, proclaim the authority of the Scriptures. Like, hold fast to them and proclaim them. It's like when Jesus... When he was about to ascend, he looks at his disciples and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Like He gives us authority. And so our job, our authority that we have in Christ and in the church is to make disciples by proclaiming the good news of the gospel and then discerning what is right and what is wrong and proclaiming with grace and truth Proclaiming what God intends for mankind. We have that authority. Treat it with uttermost care. But that is our calling. So in the workplace, in the schools, our prayer for you this week, ready? Is to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Okay? Be wise. So proclaim and be bold. But that doesn't mean this week 
run into a mosque and shout out with everyone in there, Jesus is God and Muhammad isn't his prophet. That's bold. That's authoritative. But Christians, that's just stupid. So be wise. Be wise in your workplaces. Be excellent. Strive for excellence. Be a modern day Daniel. Like be a man, be a woman that excels in whatever your hands find to do. And do it with all of your might as working for the Lord and not for men. Let your light shine amongst the darkness, in the workplace, in your cubicles, everywhere. And be a worker that is well approved unto the Lord. Be wise, church, but do not tolerate. And look at the incentive. Look at the promise. Look at the beautiful thing that Jesus Himself promises to His church. And we'll end with this. Look at verse 28 with me. And I will give him the what? The morning star. You remember when we read that in Revelation chapter 22 this morning? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. It's a reference to himself. It's like he's saying, hey, shine brightly. Take your flashlight. Shine it in the darkness. And I will be your very source of light. Just one church ago, Pergamum, he said, hey, and I will give you the hidden manna. That is, remember, hey, when you do this, I'm going to give you myself. And now he says, hey, there's a tiger in the room. I'm going to help you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be your light. Remember to hold fast. I will give you myself. And I have already given you the tools to deal with this tiger. Church of God, the gathering, hold fast to Jesus in the Scriptures. Let's do this together. And the Lord Jesus Himself will be pleased. Let's pray. So Father, we close our time today. And we thank You for the fellowship of the saints. It is what we love. It's what we cherish. It's what we need. We need to hear from You. We need to look around and see other believers and we need to lean on them through prayer and through the, just their generous camaraderie. And we need You. And so we close this, this morning with the song, I need You. And I need You every hour. We've sung it once. We're going to sing it again because these things that are before us to not tolerate and to hold fast, they are a high and lofty calling. And we need your manna. We need the morning star. We need Jesus who is at work in us to conquer. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to be just stay seated. And as we begin this song, don't just like rush into reading and singing. Spend some time and identify, Lord, what is the area that you want me to move into? Where, Lord, should my light shine this week?
Lord, have I been tolerant in areas? Would you teach me and show me how to reflect you in a gospel-centered, in a bright, bronze-polished way? Thank you for the authority. Would you help me exercise it that is honoring to you? You stand when we're ready, and I'll close here today in a benediction, and we'll be dismissed. Okay?